Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is David A. Covey, C-O-V-E-Y, and he's just published a book, a very timely, important book, I would say, considering the current political situation in the United States. And the title of the book is Hometown Politics. And it kind of goes into detail about how important it is for people to get involved really at the grassroots, really at uh, kind of down to earth local government, but he can talk more about that. So David A. Covey, are you there? Hello, Bill. Thank you very much. Glad to be here with you. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. Uh, this is your first book. Can you talk about your background and what led you to write Hometown Politics? Yes, I've, I've been involved in politics for over a decade. And the more and more I've paid attention to it, the more I've seen that there's a fascination with the federal government and with what's happening at the White House. But that's not necessarily what happens at uh, and impacts what happens at my house. And so hometown politics, back to the basics, is about getting to the things that impact me as an American, as a Texan in this case, and, and how do I make a difference? And so my background is that I started at a young age and came up, worked my way through the political system uh, as a precinct chair and then as a county chair and then as a state executive committee man for one of the major parties. And doing that, I have traveled around uh, my state and have seen so much of what people are experiencing and how they, they just don't have the fundamental knowledge to make a difference. So we can we can yell at the TV, we can we can listen to these news stories and become angry and and have this momentary engagement, but that often fizzles away. And so I've had it on my uh, mind to write something and just share briefly my experience, but then go in at a very specific level and talk about here's your county government, here's your state government. Here's your political parties and the steps that you can do to engage and to make a difference. And then I did some research and, and some experience that I had, and I show how few people it takes to really make a difference. Because one of the things that I hear all of the time is that my vote doesn't count. And, and there's this belief, this general um, presupposition that, one vote in the pool of votes just doesn't matter. And so showing very specific years and elections, I show how one vote uh, can influence so much and how many elections have come down to just a very few votes. And so that's what hometown politics does. And that's where it goes. Of the original views of the government, um, where the source of freedom is, and uh, can you talk about the background really as the founders found the United States? Yes. So the, the book's divided up into three parts, and I'm very passionate about history. I'm very passionate about um, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and where that came from. And so the book starts in part one talking about the philosophy of government in America. And, and it's a very basic concept, but it, it plays out and has very critical 
implications across the country. And, and the, the philosophy of our founders was this, that, it, we, that American government was based on individuals having inalienable rights. And those rights, in this case, come from God. Now, if your rights do not come from God, and there's not something that is above all governments, and these rights are above that, then all you're saying is that there is a government body, whether it's a sovereign or a Congress, that determines what are your inalienable rights. And so we have to understand what is our philosophy of government in the sense of where do our rights come from? That is a critical question, and, and, it, and it impacts how we enact our government. And so when we come to our founding fathers, they had a strong belief that we needed a government that would support our inalienable rights, not that granted us these rights, but that we already had them. And so the government was to support and to protect those rights. John Adams made the comment, he said, our constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And by that, by that, John Adams is acknowledging that we need in society a moral disposition to be able to maintain our government because government by itself will continue to grow. It will continue to uh, to bring in more spheres of influence under its control. And, and Will, that's exactly what we see today. We are in a position where our government has continued to grow and continue to build and build and build um, until, until we have where government in many counties and, and states is one of the largest employers, if not the largest in many counties, largest employers in that county. That's right. an incredible thought. It's really incredible to, to, to see and understand that. And so a lot of government's role is employing citizens to work for them. Um, and so, so that's, that's where we're going. And, and, and the book just breaks down and shows you that we have to understand this fundamental process because more and more people understand that we have to get involved. But if they come to government thinking that our rights come from government, then they're less likely to challenge verdicts that come down from the government. And so when the government tells you that you must take vaccines or that you must do this or must do that, then the government is supposedly right if your philosophy of government is that your rights come from the government. However, if you understand that your rights come from God and that the government is there to enforce them, then your political activism will cause you to be willing to stand against tyrannical government edicts that have no basis in law and that, that step on your rights as an individual. So that, that's where part one of the book really starts. And we just go into and looking at the Declaration of Independence and, and then 
into the Constitution. And, and it's so important because those documents in, in many schools around the country are no longer taught. And there's right. so many, so many important things that come from them that we must understand. And so, you know, my encouragement is for people to pay attention what's being taught in schools and encourage your your teachers to be teaching civics and 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 I mean history, true history, not not made up history or the uh, the evolving history that seems to be the case so often. Right, the sixteen nineteen project or some of these uh, critical race theory, which leaves out so much to be taught. I mean, it's really right. a distraction from the core fundamental doctrines that started this country and are based on our liberty and freedom. I mean, it, people are really missing out to see what how much thought went into the foundation of this country and all the civics that's passed down to each person through the states. That's right. That's right. Well, and so so if we understand that, and, and one of the other uh, key fundamental um, things we have to understand about our government philosophy is that man tends to not be basically good. And so um, even John Adams specifically rejected the idea that man is basically good. And he said to expect self-denial from men when they have a majority in their favor and consequently power to gratify themselves is to disbelieve all of history and universal experience. It is to disbelieve revelation from the Bible, uh, which informs us the heart is deceitful above all. So he, he quotes from the Bible at that point. But, but he recognizes that if you give the majority power and you presume that those rights come from the majority, eventually all of human history indicates that they will step on the rights of the minority. And so that's where the American system of government is so different. We understand that our rights don't come from the majority. They don't come from government. They come from God. And so we can stand boldly in public space and in the public square and say, no, the government has gone too far. And, and you can resist when they step over that line. And so that's, that, that is really the heart and message of where we focus um, and kind of where, where I've gone with part one of the book. And, uh, and then we move, we move into to part two, um, where I, I take the time to begin to look at your uh, county offices. And, and from the county, we look at the, at the many aspects of uh, government from your county judge, for example. The county judge is not actual a judge in the way that we think of a judge. He's, a, he's an administrator on a, on a court that is basically the executive body of a county, made up of your commissioners and of a county judge. And so some people know this because they've they've interacted with it. But this court is way more impactful on your daily life than even the president is. And, and yet, where do we spend most of our attention studying politics? Always and, at the federal level, always at D.C. Yeah. Always in D.C. 
always in DC. We're we're watching that and seeing what happens. You know, we follow closely what uh, this senator says and that. You know, they haven't the the rate of their legislation, although it can be widespread and impact, it's very slow. And depending on how your state and local authorities implement it, it can have very little effect. Um, and so your commissioner's court, on the other hand, is, is, is making laws on your tax rate. They're impacting uh, appraisals. They are hiring their employees and, and determining the rate of how fast your, your county government grows. They're helping with drainage in your area and whether your house floods or doesn't flood. And, and they're, they're working to attract business to your counties through economic development. Things that impact uh, your the the appraisal of your house, and so so these local authorities have way more impact and way more consequence on the average American than the federal government does, and so part two of my book really goes through and looks at all these offices of your county treasurer and of your sheriff and your justice of the peace. And one of the things I always say about the sheriff position is that it's very important that everyone be known by their sheriff. And when I say that, be known by their sheriff, I mean it for all of the right reasons. Not You don't wanna be the guy that the sheriff knows uh, because of problems. But it's good to know your chief law enforcement officer because ultimately, all law enforcement authority comes down to who your county sheriff is. And so your county sheriff has a lot of sway in, in, in what he enforces and in assisting you in an emergency situation. So I deal with the office of sheriff and just really break down what, what he can do and, and show people the benefits to getting to know your sheriff and some ideas on how you can do that as well. And I think you wrote in your book, like the amount of people voting for their local, you know, politicians, like judges, sheriffs, et cetera, is very, very low, right? Yes, it is. It's very low. Um, in fact, you know, we kind of break down in, in several counties, you can see, but overall, you're looking at anywhere from 10 to 30% of people are all that, that vote in election. Many times you have about 8% determine who wins. It's incredible. These such powerful offices too. It's amazing how little involvement there is. It's really uh, not a good, not a good thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I had a conversation with a state senator um, here in the state of Texas, and he was telling me about his race, and he got into this is a state senate position, and he was able to win the election against a longtime incumbent by only 300 votes, 300 votes. And, and this is a, a district that votes around 900,000 to a million uh, population. And, and, and so it came down to very few votes. 300 might be what you have at a chamber Christmas party or at a large Lions Club uh, luncheon might come together. And these are the people, that, that amount of people determined the outcome of an entire Senate seat. And, and with that, the direction of, of how that Senate votes. 
And so many times states elections come down to, to just a very few either votes in the House or votes in the Senate. And that comes and those offices and who holds them comes down to very few people. In fact, uh, in chapter five of my book, I go into how the government is we the people. We are the ones that have the voice and and our elected officials work for us. We don't work for them. And we talk about that. And in doing so, I give some examples of people who won by very few votes. So as recent as 2016, Patricia Grady uh, in the state of Texas won over Brett Griffin for district judge in the 212th district by 374 votes. I mean, that's not many. That is not many votes when you think of the average church size in, in my state is about 300. In 2012, for Republican primary runoff, Kyle Caskell won over Tucker Anderson by 146 votes. We're talking about a, a state uh, a state house of representatives by 106 votes. And in that same year, in a Democrat primary, Rod Patton won over Frank Brown by 81 votes, less than 100 votes, 81 votes. Um, you know, these are these are House and Senate seats being determined by less than 100 votes. So when I hear people say, my vote doesn't count, I don't think it's going to matter, or I'm not even going to take the time to go and vote, you know, I would tell them, hold on just a second. You could be one of the determining votes. I had a local county commissioner race. And, you know, the lower the race you get, the less people it takes to make a difference. And the this particular commissioner um, had, it was around 1,200 people voted in the total uh, in the total race, which was was about 20% of the population that lived in there and could have voted. And he, he lost by two votes, just by two wow. votes. And if it had been one vote, there would have been a recall election. Um, and and the, the, the tragic part for him, not for his opponent, was his aunt, his great aunt, was going to the polling place. She parked and was walking in and tripped on the asphalt and didn't make it in to vote for him. Uh, ambulance had to come and get her, and uh, thankfully she ended up being okay. But <laughs> he lost the election due to, if, if there would at least have been another election. This guy was very popular. He, if, if his people would have turned out, he would have undoubtedly won. But everyone assumed he was going to win. And often we we think our person's going to win or, or or worse, we think our person doesn't have a chance because the incumbent's going to win. Well, that is not the case. If people would engage and research their candidates and then get out and vote and take a neighbor, take a friend, tell a family member, you would be amazed at the difference and the integrity that would return to public office just because Americans are engaging, they're voting, they're doing their research, but they're getting out to the polls and letting their voice be heard. Because right, and it's very important because a lot of the guys who are incumbents, they think that they're safe, 
because they've won by a certain margin or anything like that. So if they knew there's a potential of them being voted out by a competitive adversary, they'll do a much better job and probably act a little less uh, selfishly in certain decisions. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Well, and and that's where we had uh, one race that I was uh, intimately involved with, and we ended up losing the the challenger to the incumbent was was what I would call ultra conservative, and the incumbent was relatively moderate um, and had come in on a ultra conservative platform in a very conservative district, but had 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 migrated more to the middle. Well, just because of this challenger who did lose, and so technically he lost his race, but for the next eight years, this this uh, incumbent pulled, got his act together and, and, and went back to his roots and what got him elected and what his constituents wanted. And so oftentimes, just the fact that a good candidate runs can pull an office holder um, in the direction that that candidate is is pushing. And so that has a a profound impact on on politics, even if you don't win just the fact of running a campaign. Right. So, I mean, I think the message of this book is people have to get re-energized and involved in going back to look at these local institutions and voting, but also getting in, in, involved in certain things. One of your chapters is about school boards. I think it's a very important issue. Can you talk about what it's like uh, at the local level and school boards and how to get involved there? Yes, uh, school boards are so critical and, and we know they are because they're teaching our children. They're determining a lot of the, the philosophies and policies that, that impact children. In fact, right now, a lot of schools have been in the news just because of decisions on whether to enforce masks or not enforce masks. Some states are saying you can't. Some schools say we don't care. Um, these are your school boards. They, they determine a lot of your curriculum. Um, and what we see is very few people are engaged at this critical issue and at this level. And it is a very basic level because your school board is a is a entity and a, a governing body that's not accountable to others. And so citizens can walk into these meetings and make comments and they can engage and get to know their school board members. And what I tell people uh, as I travel across uh, my state of Texas is this, everyone should run for school board. I don't care if you win or, or not. Every parent should should run for school board and attempt to impact how their children's minds and and environment is directed. And so if if more people would do that, because schools are shaping the minds of the next generation and, and these these children grow up. You know, we were all children at one point, but they grow up and they become voting members of, of the elections and, and they contribute to, to work and to society. But if we ignore them and we ignore what's being put into their minds, then it will cost us later. We can't, we can't forget to look back and, and impact the pipeline of our future voters, our future leaders in America, 
knowing that these kids have so much potential if they are taught history, real history, American history, and if they are taught how to think and they are given the resources and, and great teachers and the teachers need support. But but people should be engaged at the school board level. I think it's it's perhaps perhaps one of the most fundamental um, and, and most tragic uh, failures of Americans that we are not more engaged at the school level. And so in that chapter, I show people where to go, how to get a hold of their school board and, and go get engaged. I agree. And I'm seeing that more often. It seems like more parents are attending some of these school board meetings, certainly in the advent of uh, critical race theory. But you also have a section on the secretary of state's and why is the Secretary of State uh, important in the context of the 2020 election? <laughs> that I'm glad you you got to that because that is incredibly incredibly important. And in fact, in my own um, experience and research, I had somewhat overlooked the Secretary of State, but it has come to the front and center. 2016. President Trump is elected with all the pomp and circumstance and mockery that could come with uh, a president, uh, a mockery meaning by his those that were against him um, and and just but held as a hero by those who loved him. And and he gets to 2020 and people go to bed that election night thinking that President Trump had been reelected and wake up in the morning and find that that is not the case. And so there was a large outcry of foul and election fraud. And what we find is that the person who has the most say in an election at the state level is your secretary of state. They run your elections. Running your elections means who they have on the voter registration, who's registered to vote. And there are some elections, as I show in my state, where we have people who are voting multiple times or who are not citizens and are registered to vote because those roles are not cleaned up on an annual basis. And so what we have been pushing here in Texas is to go and to clean up our voter rolls. And, and then also there has to be penalties for voter fraud because those at the election, I'm a county chair and so I'm an administrator of my county primary election. Well, we have knowledge of specific incidents of people committing fraud. And by that, voting twice, voting some cases 30 times uh, through different, different means. And so we bring that proof to the election officials. But if it's not prosecuted, if it's not, it doesn't have consequences, then people will continue to do it. And your secretary of state has to come to the front and center and address election integrity because ultimately, if people's vote don't count, then it doesn't really matter what you believe because you're not having your voice heard. So there has to be integrity in the voting system. And, and just as importantly, there has to be faith, faith in the voting system that, it, that it's reliable, can be trusted so that people will continue to engage and know that they are being heard. Absolutely. And I think that the Secretary of State, that position is very important for people usually don't uh, watch it, but uh, they really need to, to make sure 
in any of these future elections that what happened in 2020 doesn't happen again. And you write in your book that we are at a crossroads. What do you think uh, the overarching actions of American citizens uh, should be uh, considering, you know, hometown politics? We have to re-educate ourselves and re-engage with our society at a political level. There have been so many friends and family and church friends and Christians around the country that say it's important, but they leave it to others to influence it. And what hometown politics does is it gives a call back to Americans to say, we have to come back and engage in politics because it, it does impact you at a very local and specific level. And so come and get educated, know what is impacting you and know how you can influence your elected officials. We get the government that we deserve. And so when we let them go and we let them make decisions and complain about it, it's only because of our own failures that they are still in office and able to do what they do. So I would say that government always reflects society. And so if society is not engaged, then government can ramp, run rampant and do what they want. But if society will engage specifically for me, I mean Christians and those who understand our rights come from God will engage and protect the individual liberty and rights that we hold, not because of government, but because of God, then we still have a chance in America to turn around the corner and for things to get back to to focused on the individual and ensuring freedom to the next generation. Amen. That's a great way to end the interview. Where's the best? I see that you have an audio version of this book and you said that the paper copy is coming out soon, correct? Correct. On August 25th, the book will be available on Amazon and would encourage everyone to go there, look up Hometown Politics by David Covey. And you can find me also, uh, Hometown Politics or David Covey on Facebook and Covey TX on Twitter. On Twitter. So you can be found on Facebook, Twitter. The book is on Amazon. Do you have a website or do you sell the book uh, through any you know personal website? Uh, at this time, just on Amazon. Amazon's the way to go. Great. And really excellent conversation. Really, you did an outstanding job discussing all the topics in the book. Again, the title of the book is Hometown Politics by David A. Covey. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. All right. So that goes out.